I think it's probably a common understanding that self-sustainability uh, is death. creative superstars all over the world. I could not be happier with what I'm doing today. I love it. Uh, I actually just submitted the idea of taking this show and turning it live, traveling around the world, doing it in person with people to the World Domination Summit Foundation, and hopefully we'll have a chance to, to get a little bit of funding from them to be able to start doing a couple of these episodes live. How awesome would that be? I would love to bring children in, and the idea is to let them watch these interviews with these creative superheroes and find out that it really is possible to grow up and be that creative superhero that you wanted to be when you were a kid. There's too many people out there that go through life suffocating, miserable, doing something that they hate, working the nine to five, and it shouldn't be that way, right? I've started my journey to get away from that lifestyle. I'm bringing all of you with me throughout this podcast. Anybody who's been here listening from the beginning Thanks. I mean, you, uh, you've probably heard my my um, progress, right? And I hope that it's been able to help you in some way, shape, or form. But the next step for this is trying to get it to go live. And so I'm pumped, and I hope that the application will get looked at, and, and maybe that'll go on. Again, just kickstarted my new business, podcastpal.com. If anybody's interesting podcasts, go to podcastpal.com and chiggity, chiggity, check that out. Email me at createdartsynow.com or on Twitter at HB underscore Armstrong. My guest today is incredible. He's a cool dude, man, like over here in Kentucky, and it's such a small world. I'm not kidding you because Matt, his name is Matt Weir, is an unbelievable sculpturist. I mean, he's, I don't know what what the correct term is. I guess sculptor, right? He's He's an unbelievable sculptor, and... His systems are insane. Like he uses all these materials of of the evolving world to, to do his sculptures. And they're beautiful. They're all over the place. And I started talking to him and I'm like, Yeah, you're from Louisville. You know, my girlfriend's parents, they own a restaurant over there, a seafood restaurant. He's like, Well, I used to know the other owners, and we start getting in a little bit closer. And I'm like, Well, this has been the same owner since the beginning. And he had he had thought that they had sold out, but he ends up knowing her parents, right? He's like, yeah, I went to Costa Rica with him and started telling me these funny stories. <laughs> like, how crazy is that? He went to Costa Rica with my girlfriend's parents. Like, who would have ever known? So it is a crazy small world. In this interview, we get to talk about all sorts of amazing things, how does sculpting evolve, materials, bronze casting, kind of self-sustainability, uh, the, the deep thoughts and materials behind all of the confidence that he has in his art, building elements to support it. I mean, discovering kind of inner soul searching and and things like that. It's an awesome interview. The dude's cool. I will be hanging out with him when I go to Louisville next. So chickity, 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 check it out, ladies and gentlemen. 
With that being said, all the show notes, artsynow.com forward slash 90 or artsynow.com forward slash Matt Weir. That's W-E-I-R. And here we go. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that. Stickity, stickity, riggity, diggity, beat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ain't nothing but a hound Well, here we go now. Who wants to get a little bit funky out there? Who wants to get a little creative out there, huh? Yeah. Which one of you wants to get a little bit artsy now? Well, I do. I do. Well, then get on with your bad selves. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, just a hop and a skip down the road from me over here in Kentucky. He's changing the world with his talents and molding a lifestyle of creativity with every new idea that he brings to life. He's a sculptor of brilliant measure and just might be the most talented creative in all of North America. He uses wood. He uses stone. He uses anything natural and out of this world. And he's carrying the flame of further education of techniques, tools, materials, and theory to other creatives all over the globe. A skid a rinkity dinkity dink a skid a rinkity doo Matthew, where you are the entrepreneur now. What is going on, man? Hey, Heath. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> oh, um, just hanging out. Happy to be a part of your show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> we had a pre-chat, which is funny. So the, I just want everybody to understand how small the world can be sometimes. So Very. I spend a lot of time on this podcast with people all over the world. I mean, I've had guests in like Austria, Australia, Holland, Germany, France, South Africa, South America, anywhere anywhere you can go. I've had I've had guests on doing creative things, fist pumping, living the dream everywhere. And so today I get on and I'm talking to Matt and I'm like, okay, you're in Louisville. It's cool because you're in Kentucky. I don't meet a lot of people in Kentucky, although I did have Dr. George Seke on from the University of Kentucky. He's actually from Europe, but he is over here teaching now and that was pretty cool. But I start saying, yeah, my girlfriend's from Louisville. <laughs> and we find out, sure enough, like within like two minutes, he's just naming my girlfriend's parents and had already been to a trip to Costa Rica with them before. <laughs> Wherein her parents bribed the Costa Rican police to get out of a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Where where there was some bribing going on for yeah. $20 in an alley. Yeah, we're calling you out, Allie, if you're listening to this. <laughs> Apparently... Sorry, Use your Alex. sly negotiating skills to get out of a little trouble there. Yeah, yeah. it worked. Which is funny because Carol's most she's mostly the crazy one. You know, she's well, maybe it was, maybe it's Carol's ID. She's idea. the wild child. She was like, "Here, give him this twenty and see what he does." <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it was, it worked, right? It did. Yeah. <laughs> so, Matt, Matt, you're you have the the most brilliant work. I mean, honestly, not just saying that because. We've been connecting like I found you. I saw a TV special and I literally reached out to you through that. I think I Googled your name after the special, sent you an email and I got a response. And that was in like September or somewhere around last fall. 
And you immediately replied, but you hadn't scheduled anything in yet. And then just recently, I saw you pop into the scheduler, which was very funny. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I started looking at your work again, and it was like, started fist pumping a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty (laughs) pumped to have you on. Well, thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, so you're from Louisville, and I'm over here in Lexington. And you've kind of really experienced a lot. You're not that old of a guy. Uh, but you, you've been through a lot as far as education and, and apprenticeships, and you're a very big advocate of learning through the work of other people and working around other people, which I think is huge. I always preach yeah. that having mentors and surrounding yourself with people that you admire or people that have amazing talents in other areas that you might not be as strong in yet, uh, you can learn so much and, and improve so much by doing that kind of a thing. Yeah, So I I really like that about you. And I wanted to see if you could start by sort of just giving us a brief rundown of your history through, through school there and, and sort of your experience coming up and how you kind of got into sculpting in the first place, because I'm not going to lie. If you, if you get on M weir.com, right. M W E I R. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Yeah. Yeah, you are. So the only other weir I could think of was Bob Weir and yeah, (laughs) but so yeah, M weir.com you can check out some of this work and you've sent me some more recent photos of some of the projects you've been working on that we'll also be putting in the show notes at artsynow.com forward slash matt weir but man if you could just run us down it doesn't have to be super detailed or anything but like just give us the the points of kind of how you got from being born busting out of your egg doing some fist pumps you know making some mistakes as a kid some of the first things that you started creating to, to now, you know, where you're connecting with me, having a good time, drinking a beer on St. Patty's day yeah, and sculpting the hell out of everything in this world. man. <laughs> um, going back to birth. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do cliff notes. Um, yeah. So born and raised, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, um, you know, I never really went far. Um, Louisville's a, a pretty great place to happen to be born. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I was always doing art. You know, I've got notes from kindergarten and grade school of like, you know, when you grow up, you're going to be an artist. I can tell. And, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> you know, just drawing and, um, you know, just being artistic and creative and, you know, getting into trouble and, uh, all that fun stuff. Um, uh, you know, mostly just drawing and painting, um, copying things, you know, using tracing paper and all those things in grade school. Um, but we have this thing around here that maybe you or some of your listeners have, um, hopefully they don't, hopefully they have a better way to deal with junk. But (laughs) here in Louisville, we have junk pickup and it's where everyone throws all of their garbage and things that they don't want, which is just anything and everything, to the curb a couple of times a year. And all that's just, you know, it'll get picked over well. And, I mean, there's scavengers driving around, you know, um, going through all the alleys and everything else. There are trucks and whatever full of junk. Um, I guess that's the nice thing about it. But uh, um, so anyways, um, you know, when I was young and, learning about junk day out, you know, walk the streets and alleys myself and, you know, find things and, um, 
kind of start putting them together, you know, sort of becoming more and more um, three-dimensional in form, um, you know, leaving a two-dimensional page of drawing and painting and uh, whatever else I was doing and, um, you know, kind of growing up, you know, becoming a young man and working with my hands. And, um, That's pretty cool. I mean, if you think about getting into sculpting, it has to start somewhere from that 2D to 3D transition, and that's an interesting way to see it come about. I mean, because I think a lot of people would think, oh, it's got to be so expensive to get the materials to do it, but just step by step, you know, making a little bit more progress every time and moving on to the next best thing. Yeah. That's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I fortunately also grew up across from um, Joe Creason Park. Uh, well, near enough, anyways, a short bike ride or a walk. Um, and um, the woods, which are mostly no longer there, of Bellarmine College, you know, of course, they, yeah. like other colleges and places, have cut them down for dorms and, you know, expansion. But in my day, um, we had the run of the woods, and we would go there and make forts, um, booby traps, you know, swinging vines, bike <laughs> trails. Um, you know, of course, there's that hollowed out log where you would stash your cigarettes and whatever beer you stole from your parents. <laughs> you know, so uh, all that good stuff. Um, and with that as well came, uh, you know, I think a really important, not just to me, but also to, you know, your audience and their kids or the kids they know, um, the value of, you know, getting your hands dirty and uh, mending sticks and, sharpening spears and, um, you know, digging a hole in the dirt and, you know, wrestling a rock out of your way or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, that was all also very, um, uh, important, you know, um, to my kind of, I think, sculptural development. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of a matter of, um, that was the, the pure image you know, of this concept we're talking about. The other one, not so pure, you know, the junk pickup day. Um, but the two of them together is really, you know, uh, for me at least, it was a, a really um, fertile environment for, um, you know, the inorganic synthetic materials that people were throwing out and the organic materials being the ones we found in the woods. What were some of the first things that you would commonly come across and use, or were you basically just getting a big random assortment of things? Oh, yeah, big random assortments. I mean, and all this stuff all ultimately went into the garbage or wherever, but um, it was really just kind of the experience of um, learning how stuff worked, you know. Um, I think... Um, Every good sculptor uh, is a pretty good, if not a, a really good engineer in many respects, because, um, you know, once you look, work with materials and learn um, about different materials' um, properties, you know, stress, um, breaking point, um, you know, how to put them together, things like that, you know, you are kind of exploring ideas and things like engineering and architecture, um, you know, and physics and, um, you know, all the while, if you so choose art. Um, so, you know, there was really nothing left from that period. It was really just kind of an experience of, of things that when was, you know, really important. When you took those, 
experiences and kind of thought about it in your head. Did you ever think that there was a possibility to do art for a living at that point? Did you did you think that maybe it wasn't possible or did you really believe that, hey, this is something I'm going to do and you didn't have any doubt in your mind about it? Um, you know, I think that that probably did. That was probably around the time where it, it really did kind of establish a foot, you know, in my mind of, of life and what I'm going to do about it. Um, or with it or about it, whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> about this whole mess I've got myself into, which is life. Um, uh, but, you know, and I think that, you know, how that evolved essentially was, um, yes, you know, the short answer longer would be, you know, all of those tools and materials and kind of practices and understandings of, you know, the way things work was really just a matter of uh, my gaining confidence of the world around me and how I might be able to affect it. You know, and I could have turned that into you know, lots of other different careers. Um, but, um, you know, in art, you really do have to be confident. Um, I mean, you know, I've been making a living at it and or trying to make a living at it for, you know, so many years now. And it's, you know, still kind of a, you know, it's had its turbulent times, you know, up and down and all around the feast or famine and all that, um, you know, it's starting to kind of level out a little bit more, now that I've got, I guess, you know, a, a pretty healthy or, you know, an early start to a healthy portfolio of strong works. Um, well, what were some of the things that you battled when you were trying to find that confidence? I mean, what, what, what was the hardest part about that struggle of, of discovering that confidence and actually realizing that, that you were going to be able to do it? Uh, well, I, I mean you know, of course there's kind of, you know, self doubt, there's, um, you know, social pressures, uh, you know, your parents, um, you know, my parents are, you know, incredibly supportive now. Um, and they always, they have not always been, and I'm not saying that to their, um, you know, deficit or anything, but, you know, if I were my parents, I would say, don't you dare, you know, get into sculpture or this, that, or the other. You know, of course, it's just, you know, what they know. It's what their parents knew. It's what their parents yeah, That's knew. what they do. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it's what works. Um, you know, art is, uh, it's not in the category of what works in terms of a parent-child dialogue. That's true. Um, I mean, not for a small minority, yes, maybe, but... Um, you know, ultimately, your parents want you to have um, all that they ever wanted, and you know, a healthy, happy life. You know, able to afford all you want, a comfortable. You know, it's a very kind of these domestic, secure, ideas. secure, common life that. Right. Yeah. right. Um, you know, I guess that wasn't really ever you know my concern. Um, Me either. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I'm, I think a lot more people nowadays are starting to, you know, more of our generation and younger, they're starting to see that, that they don't necessarily have to be the type of person that goes and gets a normal college degree and gets that nine to five job. And I, 
I see that argument between this generation and you know the baby boomers and their parents where it's just a completely different black and white view on things. And that's okay because it doesn't mean that your parents don't love you for who you are or what you're doing or that they don't support you. It's just that they really, in their minds, are more worried about you and they think that what you're doing is going to maybe cause some kind of like stress later in life or cause you to live a life that's not as as comfortable. But we would look at it from the other side and say, well, these are the things that we love and these are the things that we dream about. We're not going to be comfortable until we can get to a point where we're actually living through that passion. Exactly. And it's common. It's definitely common. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, um, I think that, you know, a lot of, you know, mine and our contemporaries are, you know, basically looking at the social experiment that has been, you know, basically the case of our species, but especially our parents and, you know, their parents and, you know, American dream concepts and, you know, other countries' dreams concepts um, and are just kind of like not that impressed and, you know, um, feel like, you know, maybe they've got a better idea and, uh, you know, all the power to them and and us. Um, I think there's definitely room for improvement and, um, you know, I I guess I was just always one... um, um, you know, so I will say that like there was kind of like a God element that kind of had a big part in, you know, my early life and decision making, but especially like my questioning, um, of what everybody else was so fussy about. And, um, it was really just kind of the, you know, demand for, you know, what the hell are you talking about and why? And, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, went to, you know, parochial school and, uh, you know, Catholic high school and, um, public as, as most do in Louisville, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, I went to U- university of Kentucky, spent my freshman year there. Um, and it was actually there with my father. Um, we, uh, you know, went into the registrar's office and, um, they were like, what's your major? And I said, sculpture. And he was like, he's not really sure about that. And I, I had to correct him then and there. I was like, no, I am, you know, market sculpture. Um, and so that was it. Um, I guess that kind of goes back to the confidence thing, you know, um, developing confidence, developing an idea and, um, you know, taking risks, um, and learning from them. So, you know, fortunately, um, I had as much as I needed of all of those elements, you know, whatever they were to say, you know, I'm going to be an art major and that's that, um, going into college, you know, my friends and people all over the world, you know, it's a a terrible nightmare of a decision to make. It's like, well, what are you going to be? You know, I don't know. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I just feel fortunate. I'm I'm grateful, or I guess probably just lucky that you know I was able to make a decision and I stuck to it early on. Um, yeah, most people don't make it that far, right? They give it up. They hang yeah. up and go the other route, and it's a really sad thing. I mean, especially in a state like Kentucky, where you get out in say Eastern Kentucky, and these kids grow up, and who knows how creative they could be, but they never are given the chance because they're brainwashed by the time they're 
six years old that there's nothing good outside of their counties and yeah if there's anything out there that's creative it's bad and you know it's against it's against jesus's will and correct stuff right, like right. that yeah and it's just really sad to see so i'm I'm yeah. happy that you got through it man because you've brought some amazing creations into this world and and i don't think that it would be the same without them well that might be much to say but i appreciate it very much thank you um yeah, I mean, I've it's something I've been uh, fighting for, and it's something I'm passionate about, and you know, don't have any intent to stop. Um, you know, I, I think, like you said, it's just a matter of like, what else would so many young people who were um, provided the experience, thus gaining the confidence to, you know think about the world on their own terms and make their own decisions, you know, what might they provide to the world? You know, um, I mean, that's, and I'm not lumping myself in this category, but those are the, you know, inventors and Einstein's and, you know, kind of geniuses that make this, you know, the Buckminster Fuller's of, um, (laughs) new thinking, um, which we very much need now. Um, more than ever yeah unfortunately you know so much of it in my opinion needs to be focused on how we unfuck the environment but um, it's true well i think sending nuclear weapons to the middle east and building up capital there is really helping things yeah yeah (laughs) uh yeah so that was another you know part of um my kind of vocabulary and interests as well um you know much earlier on there was kind of the god idea of what's happening um uh i i fortunately um had this well pertaining to that i'll get back to the environmental stuff but um pertaining to the whole god thing you know um basically had my own narrative and i structured so i went to uk Started sculpture, uh, met a lot of great people, worked in the, the Reynolds building there. And um, it was, they had a lot of stone from former um, artists that had brought it in and never touched it. So I was able to carve all this stone, which was really great. Um, you know, kind of cut my teeth in some respects on more tool and material development. Um, ultimately, I knew that there was. Uh, much more waiting for me here in Louisville, or not waiting for me, but, you know, uh, opportunities to be taken. And um, so I came back, um, you know, started at University of Louisville and uh, kind of immediately contacted um, three or four people, but uh, Paul Fields, who's since passed away about seven or eight years ago, he had been uh, carving stone and doing bronze work, wood carving, etc., for about forty years. Um, he might be kind of hard to find online, but uh, he's pretty old school. Um, but uh, we'll try to find him and post a link in the show notes if we can. Yeah. Uh, so I contacted him, uh, the Bright Foundry, uh, after Barney Bright. Um, his son Jephtha runs that now. That's a block down the street from Paul's studio. Um, My good friend Raymond Graff and um, the blacksmith Craig Caviar. So um, I, like many artists in Louisville have done over the years, I started working for Craig Caviar, the blacksmith, and um, 
I, I mean, I, and I did really want to do this. Um, you know, there was lots for me to learn there, welding and grinding and, you know, cutting his grass and stuff like that. Uh, but Paul rented underneath the same roof. Um, I'm sorry, Craig rented Paul's studio, which was underneath the same roof. So they were just next door neighbors in the same building. And um, I really wanted to uh, meet Paul and learn from Paul. Uh, when I met him, he was probably uh, 60-something already and, you know, lived a, a rough life. Um, uh, and, you know, kind of old sailor-like character, you know, just... <laughs> Uh, former alcoholic, um, full of personality, full of experience. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Full of experience and lessons in life. Um, and which is what I wanted. Um, so in addition to, you know, now being a sculpture major at the university of Louisville, which at that time they did not have a sculpture, um, department. I mean, they, they did, but it was, they also did not have a sculpture professor. So I got there and their department was essentially defunct. Um, there was a painter uh, by the name of Peter Bodner teaching kind of babysitting sculpture department, you know, whoever was interested in something relatively related to sculpture. Uh, so I got there. I'm the only sculpture major. Um, a year or two down the road one i suppose um they hired scott massey and then we kind of um with me as his right hand man i guess i would say you know sort of built the department back up um i ultimately graduated with a bfa in sculpture um art history and humanities minors um Throughout that time, I was working for Paul Fields, uh, Craig Caviar, the blacksmith, the Bright Foundry, which is a fine art bronze casting sculpture foundry, in addition to um, just other friends and artists that I would get with and you know pick their brains about what what I could learn. Um, so for a while, I'd work for um, after I met Paul Fields through Ke Craig Caviar, you know, I would work for uh, Paul from like eight to noon, eat lunch, go next door, work for Craig Caviar for the rest of the day. Um, and then on other days, you know, be in school, other days aside from that, go down to the Bright Foundry and be doing bronze casting and uh, learning all about the lost wax casting process. So how, how did that diversity working with so many different people and learning under, you know, three or four different uh, environments there, how did that kind of combine into what it is now? Um, I mean, surely, cause I, I, I am very much the explorer type also. Right. So I like to get involved with so many different types of things. Obviously you are. All of it pulls yeah. back in. Right. Right. And, and it makes you who you are. So I'm just, I'm wondering if you really in essence, trying to tell everybody out there, like if, if you do that, you'll create a version of yourself that you never thought was possible, but it's amazing how much yeah. you can learn from diversifying yourself like that. Absolutely. So I'm going to link this back to two things that I had started. Um, you know, this kind of God concept that I was struggling with uh, or just wondering about, just really curious, really. Um, I had this class at UofL. It was called um, Evolution and Culture. Mm -hmm. And in the class, we read Darwin's On the Origin of Species and uh, Richard Dawkins' um, 
the selfish gene in addition to lots of other literary works. Um, and, uh, that was kind of honestly my eureka moment of enlightenment, um, in terms of all these great grand questions I had had. And, you know, I had also scheduled my, um, classes at U of L essentially to kind of answer some of these things in addition to, you know, fulfilling all the other stuff I had to, but, you know, so I was doing like, um, uh, ancient Egypt, uh, you know, Greece, um, you know, Africa and through art history and et cetera, and kind of really kind of compiling in my mind, you know, where this God concept came from, um, you know, and just personally, um, doing a lot, I mean, not like struggling and crying and soul searching and all this, but, uh, you know, thinking a lot about it all, um, developed quite, you know, a narrative and, uh, this information, uh, you know, I was familiar with evolution before, but not really. Um, and, uh, this class and reading this book and kind of, um, you know, going, being introduced to this sort of material, uh, like I said, was sort of this enlightenment, which was very much this enlightenment, not sort of, and, um, it really changed a lot of things for me. Um, and my sculpture work, uh, at that point actually changes, uh, with one artwork, which was my BFA exhibition show. It's called, um, reproduction stress and the death drive go with the flow. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, powerful title. Thanks. Um, and it was meaningful, you know, to me then it still is now. Um, I think it still feels totally relevant. Um, but, um, it's essentially my kind of contemporary, um, 2.0, you know, um, version of me thinking about life, um, myself, my identity, and also my artwork. So um, in this installation, um, there is this uh, sculpture work, and um, there is also, uh, and it, it's a very new work. It's like nothing I've ever done before. I mean, there is limestone in it. Uh, I'm looking you- at it now, and it's, yes, it's <laughs> it's unbelievable. And everybody can, we can post a picture of it on on the site, but yeah. You can get on his website, you can check it out also. Yeah. Yeah, and so one thing you'll see on uh, my site with most of my work is I, I like to talk about it. I really want to connect with my audience, and I would, you know, I like to provide as many opportunities as possible for you know the more literal person that wants to read about it, or the more visual. You know, I also want to have plenty there for them. Um, but with that work, there is kind of um, 
this sort of uh, figure that I kind of lump in, or group in, ugh, lump into this group of um, figurative work that I was doing before that time, um, and this is called a witness. Um, so I was making these sort of, you know, basically with my own sort of personal narrative of this whole God concept, um, I was also developing, which totally relates, um, these thoughts about how we developed um, with artwork ourselves and with God. And uh, that was, you know, very generally through, you know, thoughts of um, kind of anthropomorphic form. For instance, um, a rock, and maybe it had a kind of gestural look to it, or a tree that had a gestural look to it, you know. Um, we as humans are very selfish, so, you know, we look around the world and see ourselves in everything. Um, so you've got this anthropomorphic form. Um, you know, a step further than that is, you know, personification. Um, we start personifying lightning bolts coming out of the sky, burning down your buddy's hut <laughs> with the idea that, you know, maybe he did something bad. You know, maybe this guy is some sort of sinner or, you know, bad guy. Um, obviously, right? He was the guy whose hut was burned down and all of these huts, what did he do? Um, you know, and a, a community leader, you know, in these kind of ancient times can gain power himself and organize a community by, um, you know, acting as a spokesperson for such activity. Um, so I was, you know, thinking about all of these things, anthropomorphic form and personified things. And, uh, it was doing these, uh, really, uh, anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic and personified form sculptures, uh, mostly out of stone and um, wood, because at that time I was also like really sensitive to the environment. I didn't, you know, like all things, I'm thinking about my footprint. Um, you know, art making is great, but, you know, art artists also make waste. Yeah. Um, you know, not just in great sculpture, but also in bad sculpture. Um, all of it is still essentially our footprint. And, uh, uh, you know, myself today, like then, I feel really responsible about, um, you know, I want to make work that's worth making, you know, that's worth uh, using these um, materials, uh, the power to, um, um, you know, do the process, um, whatever it is. So before, uh, this time period, kind of like before the go with the flow installation, you know, I was really focused on stone and wood because I didn't want to just, uh, make garbage. Or if I did make garbage, it was okay. Cause it's just stone or wood. Um, you know, these natural materials. Um, so after that, after this sort of, uh, you know, eureka moment of sorts, my sculpture work really changed. Um, and I, basically got over this hump and, um, you know, was able to look at the world, um, through a different perspective and, you know, think about it differently. Um, not just for myself conceptually as an individual, but also as, um, as an artist and someone who makes things. Um, so it was really kind of through that, transition and still to this day i mean 
um, of course, I'm still, you know, growing, developing, learning, um, all of these great things. Um, I'm exploring materials. Uh, you know, I still very much kind of hold with me that uh, mantra of, you know, don't make waste. But, you know, I was born and therefore I cannot not make waste. Yeah. Um, so I do. I'm an artist. Uh, I keep that in mind. And, you know, I try to be responsible um, to that. Um, so, you know, I think about materials as I believe an author might about words or sentences or whole paragraphs or, you know, the building blocks, um, chapters of a book. Yeah. Um, you know, this um, kind of enlightenment sort of in a way freed me from a lot of stuff I was dealing with which, you know, I was just kind of muddling around on this whole God concept and, like, materials and, you know, what was I doing, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I, I was really just kind of, uh, like I said, enlightened. Uh, and I really don't even use that um, lightly. I mean, I, I feel... Um, and I don't mean to be, like, be a preacher about it or anything, but... You know, I think science is um, a profound thing, and um, more people don't know enough about it. And if they did, um, lots of things in the world would change. Um, and uh, and so I, you know, I take that uh, to heart and think about this, you know, every day. Um, but back to materials, uh, yeah, I think about materials like. Um, like subjects in a story, characters, for instance. Um, the more, as you were saying before, you know, the more I diversify, the more languages I speak, uh, the more um, well I can compose a concept um, to the most diverse audience. You know, if I was trying to say, if I had this great thing in mind, you know, that I wanted to say or talk about this basically introduce a subject or a conversation, which is, I think, what most, you know, good art or great art does. Um, and I had this one concept that I want to sort of talk about within that field, and I'm only a stone carver, or I'm only a wood carver, or I'm only a blacksmith, or I only do bronze, you know, whatevers. Um, I'm only going to get that far in this conversation, it's just really going to kind of peter out and essentially go extinct. Um, but if I can, you know, speak and work and talk with, you know, a diversity of materials and uh, processes and, um, you know, for that matter, now, um, different levels of technology, um, then, you know, I'm, a a capable artist, uh, able to talk about interesting things to lots of different people. Yeah, man, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty deep, like in depth. You, you obviously really put, it's not just something that you're doing as a hobby because you know how to throw it together. I mean, you're really putting yourself behind everything that you're doing, which is a part of being a real creative, right? I mean, yeah. it's something that the, the most beautiful thing or gift or whatever you want to call it in this world is 
humanity's ability, not not just humanity, but for us, our ability to be able to create things, right? Yeah. To be able to bring things into this world that weren't there before. I mean, there's nothing that excites me more than that. Even with this podcast that we're doing, I mean, talking to you, we're creating something that wasn't here before and it's not going to be reproduced, right? Totally. And and I love I love hearing like kind of the firsthand perspective of that. It's <clears throat> it's really touching and for for everybody out there who's listening and, and if you want to get into trying out some sculptures and I know I've talked to some artists who kind of do a little bit on the side. They do do some 3D work. I had Gray Cross on and he does some kind of mixed media 3D stuff which is pretty cool, not quite like what you're doing. Uh, but do you do you have any really like tips as far as if there's somebody who wants to go from not really knowing too much, you know, not having the 10, 15 years of experience building that tier up to become an amazing sculptor. But if they could start like today, what are some things would you recommend to them to get started as sculpting and, and the kind of how the process goes? Um, I would, um, I would, I would go to art shows, you know, look around in your community and see kind of, um, almost wherever you are, you know, invariably around the world, someone is going to be posting about some art show somewhere and at least give you an idea of what the material they're using is. Um, you know, that was kind of my approach with, uh, apprenticing, which is my next suggestion. Um, you know, I knew what people were working and what materials and, I kind of use that as a roadmap of, um, okay, first I'm going to go here and then I'm going to go here. And I mean, the order wasn't really so much, you know, of a concern to me. It was just a matter of like an introduction, uh, an idea, um, the experience, um, so on and so forth. Um, so, uh, you know, one thing I talk about with sculpture, and this might be why you don't haven't had as many sculptors on the show. I mean, I would almost suggest it is, um, <laughs> is that it's, uh, it's really difficult because, um, it requires that much more, you know, um, for instance, if I were only a painter, um, and I'm not to say only to any painters out there, but, um, you know, what I might need to get by or do as much as I would want at least at one scale or another is, you know, have an extra room. It might be a small room or a garage or something like that. Um, you know, enough space to set up an easel, uh, and, you know, painting is quiet. Um, painting, I know the paints, especially oil, oils are, you know, a little bit more expensive, but it's relatively cheap. Um, the same with, you know, graphite and drawing and charcoals and all these other things. Um, the problem with sculpture is that it's, um, one, it's a lot of labor. Um, and two, it requires a lot more in terms of, um, and this, uh, of course, goes back to kind of what we were talking about in terms of, your you know, the diversity of uh, mediums you work with. But, you know, let's say... Um, let's just pick one. Let's say you're a stone carver or you're interested in stone carving. Um, my first set of stone carving tools, I won't call them, well, they were chisels, but um, they were um, cold chisels is what they're called. Um, they are for um, 
chasing metal. Um, so they're very limited in shape and you can get them at your home Depot or your local hardware store. Um, they're a little short. Um, they could be longer, but I mean, you could find longer versions, but, uh, they come in some of the most basic varieties of stone carving chisels you would like. Uh, or, and this is what I did. I modified them to be that. Um, so for instance, in stone carving, um, your typical standard chisel set is a point, which is just, um, you know, uh, just that, um, a, uh, a fork or a tooth chisel, which is, um, you know, a flat chisel that has teeth at the top of it. And then one that looks just like that without the teeth, that's just flat, which is a flat chisel. Um, and, uh, and that's it. Um, you know, simple to find, simple to buy and modify if you want. Um, you know, after that, my dad, when I was at the University of Kentucky, bought me uh, a nice set of stone carving chisels. I think it was from Sculpture House. Um, and um, after that, still while I was at the University of Kentucky, um, so, and this is the great thing that happens with sculpture is um, your tools are, you know, so adaptive to different mediums. Um, so I bought a grinder. Any sculptor or anyone that's interested in sculpture, um, I would say go out and buy a grinder. Um, you know, there are purists out there that say, oh, no, it's just me and the hammer and my chisel when I'm doing this side or the other. And it's just like, you know, good for you. That's great. I understand. But there's you know, other ways to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. And if you want to spend the rest of your life working on like five different sculptures, you know, be my guest, but I just don't. Um, and I don't know many others that do. Um, yeah, I mean, I still do carve like with a simple hammer and a chisel in my hand, um, but not very often. Um, you know, I use electric tools, I use um, air tools, um, you know, a lot of my stone carving now is done with uh, a grinder, which is still one of my main tools. Then I have a lot of um, different discs um, that I can adapt it um, or put on it. Uh, you know, there's wood carving, there's metal grinding, there's metal cutting, there's stone grinding, and then there's metal, or I mean stone cutting, um, and sanding, finishing, and polishing. You know, you can do all these great things to all these materials on one tool. Um, be careful with it, of course, you know, it's a tool when it's, you know, spinning and dangerous, um, especially with some of those, uh, wood carving attachments out there that are like little mini chainsaw blades you put on a grinder. Um, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, um, sort of like I was saying that sculpture is, um, uh, it's, Tough, but yeah, get into it. Um, I'm trying to you remember can, your You question. can really find almost anything. I mean, if, you, if you're going to go about it in a creative way, obviously, depending on what material you're working on, obviously you have to use certain tools, but there's yeah. nothing that's limited. I mean, you can no. you can use anything to create so many different varieties of things that it's, it's insane. Like Dr. George Seike that was on, he literally – made his students throw away all their paintbrushes and their their normal tools that they would use 
and collect all the items from nature that were around them and use them instead. You know, use stones, use rocks, use sticks, use grass to paint. And it was magical what, what came about that. It's like, there are no rules. You don't have to do something a certain way, but, but it's, it's, it's crazy how much opportunity is out there. And there are quite a bit of people who really, they fall into line and they just do it the same way as somebody else was doing it. When really, I mean, what do you think is going to come of, of taking, you know, one step in the other direction and adding your own little style to it or picking something strange up and adding it to the, to the creation. I mean, it's going to be amazing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and if it's not, you know, it's going to be an experience and you're going to learn from it and you're going to, you know, digest that and move on and you're not going to forget it. And maybe the next time, if it wasn't the first time, it might be the next time. Amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many great materials. Like, I'm just trying to think of, um, like, if you, yeah, so if I were a young artist and you know I wanted to learn about sculpture, I would look and you know look around, pay attention to shows, contact artists, uh, and then you know go up to my art store or go to Home Depot. And one thing I might get would be a, a bag of plaster you know, get a bag of molding plaster. One thing that I did in grade school um, that I that I is still as a concept, you know, very intriguing to me, and I got some ideas about it uh, for, like, new works, is mask making. So yeah. what I did was I cut up clothes hangers, used those as a frame, and then um, kind of mixed up, like, a plaster and, you know... Um, I forget the exact word of what it's called, um, but you know, dipped newspaper in into it and kind of molded it around the mask, and you know, made these big African masks, uh, and then painted them. Um, cost you next to nothing. Um, super fun. Um, you know, just a great experience. Um, what is that? What is that with your dipping the newspaper? And I forget the word. Whatever. Uh, yeah, but I'm a- not sure. Yeah, a big a bag of plaster, like a fifty pound bag of plaster, um, costs about fifteen dollars today. You know, it's like what March fifteenth, two thousand fifteen, or so. Um, <laughs> just for historical reference, in case someone in a hundred years listens to this and says, "Hell no." <laughs> Well, for those listening, it'll be probably April by the time this is out. But yeah, that's a million bitcoins. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, bitcoins. People, his grandpa is talking about wagon wheels. <laughs> um, American Revolution. A bag of a bag of plaster, a fifty-pound bag of plaster. That's loads of. I mean, that's a lifetime of um, experience and uh, art. And that you know, uh, you know, use it on a canvas, and it's a two-dimensional work. You know, um, cast it into a form and carve it, and it's a three-dimensional work. Um, wet it and add more plaster to it, and you're kind of painting on a sculpture with plaster. Um, that, that's I don't use it. I mean, I use it more in mold making um, than I do in direct art making. Um, Although I've you know used it in both, uh, but you know I really enjoy plaster. Uh, it's a really great material. It's super cheap. Um, 
you know, you could use it for all kinds of things. Mold making is a fantastic whole um, concept in art making and engineering and kind of, you know, productivity in general. Um, you know, objects all around us every single day are produced by molds. Um, and you could put a mold on that object and continue to produce it, produce it if you like. Or you can put a mold on um, whatever else you would want. Um, so is it safe to say if, if you were put in a situation where you you didn't know anybody that you know today and you were given like $50, how you would use that money to, to make your first sale through creating something? Would you go the plaster route? <laughs> uh I mean, yeah, I might. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot to think about. Yeah, right, right, right. Because, I mean, a lot of people would say, well, I'd go out and meet people, right? And I yeah. would figure out what I could do to help other people. But from a creative standpoint, I'm always curious to see because obviously a lot of the materials, you know, if you're getting a big chunk of limestone that you're carving down or you're working with bronze or whatever it may be, yeah, a lot of that stuff's going to run a little bit more expensive. But if, if you're running a budget, plaster... That was what I was using when I was a kid, you know, making these cool creations. And it's a very cool material. You're right. It's very versatile and forgiving. countries from but uh you know he's got a lot of his work um is born out of plaster um you know okay so if you're going to make something big in plaster which is easy to do and quick um most you would really need is some like chicken wire which is also very cheap or but you you know if you only had 50 bucks and you spent whatever, 15 on the bag of plaster, you can buy some chicken wire, whatever else it is. <laughs> you know, you can have a bay, uh, yeah, a bay of hail and um, push that into a way and throw plaster at it, and it would work. I mean, and you could build up a large sculpture and say, I'll give you that for 100 bucks, you know, and double your money. Um, and then, you know, keep doing that until you say, okay, I'll, I'll sell you this model of what I made in plaster and stone for this amount hmm. or whatever. I don't know. Um, that's that's a, a good idea. You know, I never thought about that. It, it's, it's a great material. Um, you know, clay is expensive. Um, uh, you know, oil clay, I use a Roma plastilina. It's like, you know, if you go to your local art store, depending on where you are in the world, you know, it's anywhere from like twelve to fifteen dollars for a two-pound brick. Um, you know, if you buy it by the case through different companies around the country, it's you know a lot less than that, but it's still expensive. Um, you know, water clay you can get for less, but um, 
unless you have access to a kiln. I don't know. So, I mean, we're getting kind of back into the idea of like, you know, why sculpture is such a pain in the ass and what it takes to make it is you've got it, it really. So our friends that we talked about before this show, Don Yates said to me, um, self-sustainability is death. And, um, wow. Yeah. It's a really simple quote. Um, but you know, it, I didn't forget it and probably for a good reason because I agree with it and I only learned and continue to learn why I agree with it daily. Um, you know, I think I was this, you know, young and super motivated and interested in like whatever artist, you know, at this time. And, um, you know, I was telling her, I probably told her, I was like, I want to be like, you know, the most self-sustainable artist or something, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that was her response, um, which was the response to give um, that I would now give, that I obviously, I guess, have. Um, you know, just because if you are not working with a community, um, you know, it, okay, so if I were successful at that, you know, for instance, hypothetically, and were a self-sustainable artist, and I mean, just it's it becomes super ridiculous immediately. Like, okay, you're thinking about it and say, well, you know, if I did all my bronze casting all by myself and I did all my, you know, um, ceramic firing all by myself and if I did blah, 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 all by myself, you have no connection to the world around you and you are dead. Uh, you know, it's a terrible state. Um, true. Yeah. So. And it's uh, sad that there are so many people that live like that too. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, so with sculpture that you, you get there quick where it's just like, well, I have to know people because, you know, I don't have a bronze casting furnace, you know, um, you know, they have one, the, this foundry down the street has one and I, you know, I'll use those and I can cut through the process by doing most all of the work myself and then just get back raw castings of metal from them and then continue to process them or blah, blah, blah. Um, and the same thing with, you know, if you're interested in doing ceramics, you know, like, oh, I can turn this pot or I can make this, um, sculpture work, but you know, I don't have a kiln, um, or this, that, and the other with, you know, all these variables of materials and processes and needs. Um, and, you know, basically and a healthy I dynamic it's community common understanding and artists, that self, um, uh, sustainability painter or someone who draws, which is, you know, much uh, again, obviously more like sustainable to do by yourself, is, but it still kind of brings back up wanna, the question of like, you know, do you even want to be self-sustainable in, in something so you know, simple have a weld, that it is so simple um, to be self-sustainable with, weld bronze, you know, drawing with steel and aluminum um, and all you know, these maybe things. Inspires um, a lot of and TIG uh, welding and MIG welding and stone draw. carving and wood um, carving and plaster and all these other stuff. Model um, or to do this one, it's other, really difficult paint, and expensive to be self-sustainable. Uh, um, you know, whatever it might be. Two, on a different kind of category, it's really difficult to be self-sustainable as a sculptor because you need all of these different things if you are going to be so diverse in what you make. Um, you know, marrying the two together 
together again, um, you know, we're, we're, we're having a conversation about, you know, art and the world and, um, they're not separate things, you know, artists making things are, uh, members of communities that involve other artists that are also making different things, but also, you know, the people around us, um, you know, older and younger, hopefully surrounded by people that are interested in what we do and support us. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we all have in mind, um, the idea of teaching young people around us to kind of, you know, continue what we do, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely, man. Sorry to be so like, <laughs> no, like no, it's good. It's good to go into these details, man. I mean, it's obviously something I'm uh, passionate about and uh, like to talk about. I, I think I kind of warned you about that a little bit. You probably had no idea. But. <laughs> That's the point. That's yeah, the point for yeah. sure. It's awesome. Especially hearing everybody and how different everybody is and the way that their minds think behind the surface. It's it's pretty awesome. So well, when you get – I know that you, you've spent your life creating, obviously, and you've been these ups and downs. And What are some things that you have to do – inside your daily process to sort of keep yourself on pace uh, with what you want to accomplish. Cause most people don't just wake up and say, okay, I'm just going to do whatever I want today. And I'm going to reach these goals. Like, are there things that are in place or are there certain rituals or routines that you have that, that allow you to be able to, to accomplish all these projects or commissions or, or shows that you put out there um, routinely? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm still working on that one. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's okay if you wake up every single day and and you don't really know what's going to happen because that's an exciting lifestyle, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's a part of it. Um, it's you know, some days you wake up and it's just like a total mess, and um. Not in terms of like, you know, you don't know who you are or where you are, but what the hell is going on? But, uh, um, you know, I suppose like, I don't know. I, I, I function like mostly like out of my head. So <laughs> it's sort of obvious for most people, I suppose, you know, we're sentient humans or something. But um, uh, so I don't really make a lot of like list of anything i just kind of like <laughs> you know if i were if we were to dramatize the day you would see me get up and put my shoes on and run full speed into the front door which would not be open yet <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then i'd get up and say oh god <laughs> and then open it and run back out there and uh you know start um tackling the day you know bit by bit um it's it, it you know and i probably is the other difficulty of sculpture but doesn't really pertain to the question as much um um any short answer no i mean it, it's really difficult being an artist um and period period it's just really difficult being an artist um uh, what I what I say about this is that you are the CEO and you are the janitor. So you know you're mopping the floors, 
fixing the plumbing, you know, doing whatever. And then, you know, at the same time, you were either with your new smartphone or back at home or, you know, um, whenever, however, um, talking with people that, you know, may uh, commission you to make something or, you know, might be interested in buying something, um, or, you know, you're going to some place to find out about a material or a process to get you that material made in a special way or, um, so it, it really is just kind of a crazy thing. And all the while, you know, hopefully you're, we're okay. So I am working on my own projects. Um, and, uh, you know, every day in art is different. Um, you know, that's one of the most amazing things about it. That's what, you know, keeps us fresh and, uh, interested in learning and, um, the most adaptive, some of the most adaptive people probably, uh, that might be a big, large tent statement, but anyways, it's up there. That's the beauty um, of life anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Everything uh, is different. I mean, and, it is and it just right. matters on how you, and I think a lot of, a lot of it's attitude, right? So if you totally attitude. If you oh, yeah. I mean, are welcoming and optimistic and, and you accept challenges and you want to make yourself better, you will. I mean, I, I do. I am a firm believer that we become what we think about. And if you're going to be negative and you think the whole world's against you, you know, well, then the whole world is against you. And oh, it's, yeah. it's literally anything, like you said, you live in your own reality inside your head. That's That's what I think everybody should strive to do. Because just because something is incredible to you and, and makes you feel good. And it, it doesn't mean that somebody else has to think that way, right? Somebody could be thinking, Oh, I'm miserable. This is awful. In the exact same situation as somebody else who's thinking, you know, this is great. Yeah. What a great day. Right. And it's their own two realities. They're separate, right. but that's what people choose. And as long as you take control of your own, you know, you're going to be money in the bank, money in the bank, Matt, <laughs> money in the bank. <laughs> If you had to battle Godzilla, how do you think you would use your creativity or your sculpting talents <laughs> to defeat that big crazy bastard? <laughs> I think I would make a really nice, well-crafted female Godzilla and uh and just kind of like, you know, you know, sort of how how you wipe your nose when when you're actually pointing at something next to you. <laughs> I'd be like, check that out over there, <laughs> and uh, and like sneak around him when he goes for the female Godzilla. Uh, <laughs> A distract, distraction technique, maybe the wipe your nose and point thing got me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like the kind of finger mustache. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> flawless technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's my knee-jerk answer. Um, well, I, I'm pumped that you were able to come on, man. I know we're getting short on time here, but I really I really am excited that we were able to connect, and we definitely need to meet up sometime soon for sure. And I know I know our guests can get a hold of your work on mweir.com. Do you have other places they can connect with you online or through email or social media? Uh, well, I mean, I have uh, in a, a Facebook account. Uh, right now it's just my personal account and you know anyone and everybody is welcome to contact me there um 
Uh, yeah, I've got the website. It's you know always um, not up to date. Um, for instance, I've got the the big project. Um, I think we touched on earlier um, at uh, Bernheim Forest in uh, Claremont, Kentucky, which is just south of me here in Louisville. Um, that was something I made in 2013. It was um, 200,000 pounds of Indiana limestone that I was Ooh. constructed and carved down there. Um, really um, a major kind of like signpost for me as an artist. Um, so that's not quite up on my website, but you can search um, Earth Measure and or Bernheim. Um, there's some, Bernheim has uh, some videos. Uh, I, I guess they have their own like YouTube channel, which uh, you could find some videos about that particular project. Uh, it's also on their website. Um, um, cool. We can try to get those links and post them on the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, my first uh, it's interesting subject we could have talked about maybe on another time was a figurative bronze work. Um, and uh, I made my uh, first figurative bronze statue for the same school, St. X High School, um, St. Xavier High School. Um, I made a um, big trouble with big art. And um, Is this the one that Ben wrote the song about? No, that's Earth Measure. That's the piece at Bernheim. Ah. Yeah, so that's the big uh, 100 tons of stone um cool yeah yeah it's a super cool thing um i mean i'm I'm really proud of the piece and um so why can i ask you for a second why he i didn't mean to interrupt you talking about the bronze but why he decided to to write this song about this sculpture and for everybody out there you know ben sully is a cello player yeah awfully big name if you've heard of him um, uh, well, Ben was commissioned to uh, do something for this work, um, and uh, he played it. So a part of so the work is in honor of Barry Bingham Jr. Um, and um, he was kind of a, a media mogul philanthropist person here in Louisville. Uh, you know, there were like media um, stations were like radio, television, and then the Courier Journal. He personally was, uh, you know, an activist um, with the environment and kind of social justice. And uh, um, through those causes, a photographer. Um, So the work is really kind of a marriage of these two concepts. Um, Media, uh, which I kind of digested and regurgitated through the concept and physics of um, satellite dishes. So I essentially carved these uh, uh, spherical satellite dishes into this uh, stone. Um, And they're kind of triangulated into three different perspectives to pick up uh, Bernheim Forest acoustic ecology. Um, Yeah, so it's... it's, Neat. The thing functions essentially like a a video camera. Yeah. so across from this big triangular element that has these acoustic dishes in it is this um, landscape picture frame, um, you know, very much after his own personal interest of photography. And um, 
so if you were to kind of stand in front of the big dish, which is uh, an 11 foot diameter, approximately two foot deep, um, hand carved spherical satellite dish, or it's not a satellite dish, it's just a dish. Um, you know, you can, you know, essentially, if you were to like fast forward to this and think of uh, like a time lapse concept of this whole project, um, you know, the project or the, the dish effect essentially never turns off. So it's always sort of focusing and in, in a way um, providing this uh, audio that if you were also there to witness, you would see through this uh, kind of camera lens of the uh, of Bernheim's landscape. Um, so it's kind of this you know audiovisual uh, sculpture work um, that also functions as this big you know earthwork landscape environment. Um, it's just a really um, well, that's surreal, man. Yeah, yeah, it's a really fun piece, and you know. Um, everybody can get involved with it, you know. Um, it, it's it's a really cool thing. I was really happy to be um, honored, you know, to be asked to do it, and then ultimately just uh, very glad that I came up with a good idea, um, and very uh, thankful that you know the person that commissioned me to do it was patient enough for me to do so. Um, so it was a, a major, major project, you know, something I had never done anything like before. Um, you know, most of the stone carving before making that piece that I'd ever gotten into, I guess the biggest piece of stone, individual piece of stone before that was the, uh, um, at play in geologic time, the, uh, sculpture piece in Vandalia, Ohio. Um, and so I think that piece of stone was about, 7,000 pounds or something like that. And Bernheim was about um, 200,000 pounds of stone. And the, yeah, the majority of it was uh, constructed by about 16 large blocks, each of which weighed about 15,000 pounds. And, you know, so I was. Um, that is massive. Oh, it's crazy. It's totally crazy. Um, so I. Um, you know, and just not really ever doing anything like this before and, you know, just challenging myself something that could have been this epic failure. Um, you know, I guess with my experience with these other artists and um, gradually gaining, you know, confidence and learning and experience and so on and so forth, um, you know, apparently I had the um, capability to pull it off and I did and, Everybody's really happy with it, and and so am I. So, <laughs> um, good for everybody. Um, <laughs> everybody wins. Uh, yeah, everybody wins, and I'm glad I didn't die or you know <laughs> something like that. Uh, yeah, me too. It, it was really fun, um, and so I'll I'll try to get some. I mean, you could Google it and see a lot of pictures that, um, like for instance, a good friend of mine the. Um, uh, my friend Claude Stevens, who works at Bernheim Forest, he's posted a lot of really interesting pictures of the progress of the work, and you can see the stacking of the stone throughout the development of it, um, in addition to the carving. And um, There's some cool um, time-lapse videos that I'm trying to um, get, you know, kind of digested to put up online, and 
Um, That'd be hopefully, cool. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll do that, and in the future, you, your your audience can check that out too. Yeah, if you do it within the next month, we can get it on the show notes. I'll try. <laughs> I'll try. Yeah. All right, man. Well, cool. I do. You, do you have any favorite mm-hmm. advice that you've gotten over your life, or anything that you can think of that you think you'd like to leave the listeners with before we say peace out or word to your mother? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I had two thoughts about this and I think one of them I remembered not too long ago, which was something that I really, um, sort of kept in my pocket when I was kind of growing and learning and trying to figure myself out. Um, and this was, something that Constantine Broncusi said. Uh, he was this uh, Romanian sculptor. Uh, and he said, um, create like a god, command like a king, and work like a slave. Yes. And uh, I've done a lot of that and continue to do so. And yeah, it feels pretty good. A lot of those guys from the Roman time had it figured out, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm reading Letters from a Stoic again by Seneca, and it's just like every other line in that book is just like blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, the guy is brilliant, and it's just so, so needed to, to read by anybody out there. I suggest it. I would, it's, it's unbelievable. What is it? Letters from a Stoic Okay, by Seneca. I think you can get the, hard, or the, the paperback on Amazon for like two bucks or something. And it's just all of his letters that he wrote back then. But he had he had it figured out. I mean, he really did. And it's amazing reading his personal letters and things that he's mentioning that are going on. But at the same time, they dealt with the exact same problems that we still deal with today. Oh, as far as confidence and emotional struggles and discovering, you know, the the reality and, and the truth behind life and things like that. It's it's pretty brilliant and eye opening. So everybody should definitely Chickity chickity check that out. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, man. All right, well, I'm gonna have to let you let you roll, but I, everybody out there, seriously, if you want to be a sculptor, you can be a sculptor. If you wanna be a baller, you can be a baller. If you wanna be a writer, you can write your creative little heart out. If you wanna pull your pants down and pogo stick across the United States naked, you can do that as well. Whatever it is that you wanna do, wherever you may be, you can create you can do something awesome. You can fist pump. You can smile. And you don't have to sit there in a cage. You don't have to sit there lifeless, right? So, Matt, again, man, thank you so much for being the Archipreneur now. Thank you, Heath. This was great fun. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> and always remember to keep it funky, world. Keep it funky. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Arch Up Her Newer Now. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, email me at create at artsynow.com or on Twitter at HB underscore Armstrong. The music, well, that's shaky feeling. Check them out. Ventura, California. Ta-ta! Keep it funky.